Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. As we've been making our way through the Bible and summarizing Jesus' ministry, we've been in this one big story series, and it leads us today to one big question. That Jesus asks his disciples and us this question in Matthew 16. It says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus says. And the disciples said, some say John the Baptist, who, by the way, if you understand where this happens, John the Baptist already been beheaded at this time. So, you know, people are saying that thinking he's somehow reincarnated. I don't know what they're thinking, but it's kind of strange. Others say Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus gets personal and directs the question to them. He says, but who do you Say that I am. And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So there are lots of things people have said about who Jesus is. But if someone asked you who Jesus is, what would you say? You know, it's really valuable to, for us to pause with this question because even if we'd answer like Peter, You are the Son of God. Uh, we need to ask ourselves, is Jesus really that to me on a daily basis? And if you're new to Christianity or you're still questioning, we hope today will help you go deeper into thinking through this question. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we want you to have more confidence to know what it means to daily live out this truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Because it's our natural tendency to become familiar with extraordinary things in our lives. You know, we do this with people. We take for granted, those that we love. And it's easy to do the same with Jesus. You know, things can become routine. Worship becomes, well, let's sing a few songs. The stories about Jesus that we have heard many times don't fascinate us or stir us anymore. And we may believe that Jesus is the most amazing person ever to whom we've made our single most important decision in life to follow. And we respect him, but yet we can tend to yawn, not live life devoted to him. And that's an incredibly dangerous road of complacency for us to go down on. So Jesus asked us this one big question, who do you say I am? And the answer to the question doesn't land on a debate whether Jesus existed. Nobody questions the fact that Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, grew up in a carpenter's family, worked a blue-collar job for 30 years in a small town with uh, in a humble Jewish family. You have that information, whether you read it in the Bible or whether you read it in the first century historian Josephus or others like Pliny the Younger who mentioned Jesus in their letters. No serious historian questions Jesus was a real person. H.G. Wells, I think, puts it best. He says, I'm a historian, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. And as a result, more songs have been written about Jesus, more paintings have been painted in his honor, more books have been written to explain him than any other person in history. I mean, Jesus has inspired more than a hundred movies from Ben-Hur, and then there's this new one I did not know about. It's a kung fu horror comedy musical. It's called um, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. Like, I never thought I'd put all those in words in one title. <laughs> but, um, but even after 2,000 years, nobody is more controversial than Jesus. And the controversy seems to stem around the statements that Jesus says about himself, such as in John 14. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
or in John 17 when Jesus was praying to his father, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I mean, Jesus is saying, I am the way to God, I am the truth of God, and I claim to be God. I mean, those statements send people to their corners, right? So who do you say Jesus is? I mean, people give lots of different answers to that question. Many people say Jesus was a good person, a good teacher, but not God. Unitarian Universalists say that he was kind of like Mr. Rogers. He just always said really nice things that never upset anybody. But if that's true, then why did Mr. Rogers get crucified? I mean, Scientology's website says Jesus was a great spiritual leader who, along with Buddha and Moses, helped pass along the torch of wisdom and information from generation to generation. Buddhist priests will say Jesus was enlightened, but not God. Hindu priests will tell you Jesus was a good man, but if he were God, he was at least just one of many thousands of Hindu gods. Or, and the Quran will tell you that Jesus was a great teacher who performed miracles as a great prophet, but was inferior to Muhammad and certainly wasn't Allah. Castro said Jesus is a good communist. In fact, if you look far enough, you can find a Canadian nudist arsonist cult who says Jesus inspires their actions, which probably is going to get your mind going the same place as mine does. How vulnerable would it be to commit arson while wearing no clothes, especially in cold Canada? Of course, then again, maybe the cold is the reason they turned to arson in the first place. I don't know. So what else did Jesus say about who he was? In John 8, he said to them, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. In John 6, he said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I mean, Jesus tells us, I have come from another world, down from heaven, in order to give you all eternal life. Normal people don't talk like this. So in light of what Jesus says about himself, I mean, it's hard to believe that Jesus was just a well-meaning, wise guru who wandered around tossing out some great gems of folk wisdom, right? C.S. Lewis speaks to this incongruity, arguing uh, that either Jesus is a man who was a lunatic or he was the son of God. You can't make him out to be a good teacher. The religious leaders accused Jesus in his day of being demon-possessed. In Luke John 8, it says, The Jews said to him, Now we know that you, are de- uh, uh, you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? I mean, who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, saying, If I, gl- if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God, but you have not known Him. And he goes on and says something really bold. He says, I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So Jesus doesn't say, I don't claim to be superior than Abraham. No, Jesus actually doubles down, saying, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And Jesus was referring to the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham that God would make a great nation through him and bless all peoples of the earth. And yet, the people he was speaking to didn't get it. So it goes on and says, So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? That's a logical question, right? Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
Now, if you're here back in the early part of this series in the Old Testament, you remember that I am is a clear reference to Jesus saying, I am God. Uh, He keeps claiming that he and his Father God are one. I am God. So either Jesus is the worst lying communicator who ever lived, or he is God. Jesus is just not an ordinary man. He told extraordinary stories that we call parables, stories that went way beyond entertainment or moral tales. They gave spiritual truths about the kingdom of God. And um, the early church fathers said that Jesus' words are like a river in which a gnat can swim safely and which an elephant can drown. And I know you were saying, like, why do you like that quote? I just thought it was so cool. I mean, because sitting with it, you recognize that Jesus' words are simple enough for children to understand, yet they have so many layers. Like, and it takes more than a lifetime to ever discern it all, right? Jesus gave extraordinary teaching, extraordinary stories, and then he backed it up with extraordinary actions. He walked on water. He, when confronted with evil, he cast it out, and when there was sickness, he brought healing. For those who are considered unclean, like the lepers or the woman with an issue of blood, he offered acceptance and then made them whole again. Guards that were sent by the religious leaders to arrest Jesus, they came back saying, no one has ever spoken like this man. And these men, along with people over the last 2,000 years from every tribe, every nation, rich and poor, educated or uneducated, have come to the same conclusion that no one has ever taught with the power of this man before. When we see it seen in Matthew 7, and and when Jesus finished these sayings, um, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. It was this authority that made him like no ordinary teacher. So except for the date that he's returning, you'll notice that Jesus never said, I don't know. 75 times in the gospel, he, he tells us, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, what he's saying is, I am telling you the truth on how things are right now. And he said that about lots of things from money to love to hate to forgiveness to grief, marriage, singleness, wisdom, purpose, healing, leadership, all sorts of things. A wise person may point you towards the truth, but they don't claim to be truth. Someone who is virtuous might encourage you to forgive, but they don't tell you that they have the right and the power to forgive people for their sins that they've committed against you. And a friend may tell you what is right or wrong, but they won't tell you that they won't set themselves up as the ultimate judge of all the world's right and wrongs. Yet these are claims that Jesus made about himself. And interestingly enough, the crowds didn't take it as arrogance. Instead, they followed him. Paul, a brilliant teacher in his own right, having studied under the greatest teacher of his day, initially opposed to Jesus, but then takes a 180 and follows Jesus, says, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when Jesus asks us, who do you say I am? What do you say? Now, a recent poll said that 52% of Americans and 30% of evangelicals say that Jesus was just a good teacher. Um, 30% of evangelicals, these are people who identify as Christians, meaning they already are willing to believe that there's a God and the supernatural. Though 30% say that Jesus is not God, he's just a moral teacher. And why is it? Why do they reject God's divinity? You know, maybe it's because the supernatural maybe just doesn't feel scientific enough. 
I don't know. Yet these people already believe, they say, in this invisible, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent being, but they're having trouble believing in the divinity of Jesus. So why do people want to believe that Jesus is just a good moral teacher and not God? We think that there are at least three main reasons, and I'm sure there's more. Um, But as we stated above, the first one being the supernatural seems unreal and unscientific. The second is, if I believe that Jesus is God, then that's going to require that I let God lead my life, which means I'm going to surrender everything to him and obey. And then the third is, we fear being fully known by an all-knowing God. So let's look at the first one. The first push back to Jesus as being divine is the supernatural seems unscientific. But isn't it interesting how we are open to accepting complex scientific beliefs but not complex spiritual beliefs? We've got some bias in our reasoning when we can be open-minded with the scientific realm around like things like quantum physics that tries to explain how an atom can be in two different places at the same time. And yet... If we say God is omnipresent, present in two different places at the same time, we discredit it saying it's just not logical. There's inconsistency in that entire argument that we make. And now my eyes can glaze over when we start talking about science. I never did well in science, but I'm intrigued about one topic. It, you know, Science has discovered the things that we see, like planets and stars and asteroids, they make up less than 5% of the total universe. So the other 95% scientists identify as dark matter and dark energy. Um, Dark matter is, is, is hard to study because it's invisible. And yet scientists know that it exists because they can see how dark matter affects the universe in very strange ways. But it's a mystery. So we don't think, though, oh, there's a problem with the universe. No, we simply think there are things that we just cannot get our heads fully around yet. But why don't we take that same approach with God? With some of those big things like his incarnation and the resurrection and the trinity, those mysteries can create doubt. But maybe it should be doubt about our intellectual ability and not doubt about God. Because if we can be okay about mysteries in science where we can't wrap our brains around it yet, let's be as consistent to take that approach with God about the questions that we have about his complexity. And we can be so comfortable with supernatural mysteries because... Time and time again, Jesus backs up his incredible, outlandish claims with actions. You know, when Jesus said, I'm God and I can forgive sins, well, he backed that up by telling the paralyzed man that his sins were forgiven, and then he miraculously heals him. I mean, the Pharisees hated Jesus, but they could not accuse him of of faking these miracles. Even the Babylonian Talmud, which was written later by some rabbis, in the early part of the century, in early church, he talks about Jesus, and they call him a deceiver, um, one who practiced magic and led Israel astray, but they never denied the miraculous things that Jesus did. Now, they thought it was demonic, but they didn't dispute the miracles. We see evidence of the truth of Jesus' statements in the lives of those who have followed him. I mean, the lives of the disciples were radically changed to the point that they were willing to give their lives in order to share the news about Jesus. And in most cases, they, were, they met a violent death because of their bold witness. But we see evidence of Jesus in the lives of people today that believe that he is God. Uh, I was reading a story from Ravi Zacharias. He was visiting a prisoner who was on death row and who had become a Christian. And Ravi asked him, well, how do you handle the prospect that you will never, ever get out of here? 
And the man answered, he said, if you knew the kind of person I was before I came in here and what I have now become because of the freedom I have found in Jesus Christ and the peace that I have now because of him, I would tell you that, it, that if it took bring me to this place to bring me to my senses, I am happy to spend the rest of my life here. And then he paused and he added, would you please pray for my parents? I mean, that's changed. The second pushback. If I believe Jesus is God, then that requires I surrender my life and obey him. That's just the logical sequence that would have to be. And it's more comfortable for us to think about Jesus as a good moral teacher than God who is present with us right now, isn't it? For many, keeping Jesus as only a man helps us avoid the realization that, that I'm a sinner. I need being saved. I, that I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. It's uncomfortable to recognize that my sin was so bad that it would warrant that kind of a response from God. That requires vulnerability for us to accept that. It leads us to questions like, what does forgiveness look like? What does reconciliation look like with God and with others? And as well as if if Jesus is God, can, can I make my own decisions on how to live my life or do I need to let God set the agenda for my life? See, Jesus says to us, choose to follow me. And your life will most likely not be comfortable, but it will be much more meaningful. I mean, that leads to the third pushback of seeing Jesus as God. This fear of being fully known by an all-knowing God. And sometimes I think we shy away from thinking of Jesus as God because we're just afraid um, for him to get that close. Maybe we've had a hard time believing that someone could know us fully and yet love us fully. I mean, I think we're all afraid of being fully known, right? And I was thinking back about that this past week, and I had this thought about like when my dad passed away. And so I was, I was sort of struck with the idea like, well, can my dad see me now all the time, especially when I'm acting like a jerk? And, and I just didn't want him to be that disappointed in me. And then I was thinking, well, like, where did I get that thinking? You know, Because my rational side knows my dad's with God. He's enveloped in his love. So however my dad might see or experience me, it's from that loving perspective, right? But this tendency to not want to be fully seen or fully known by my dad, I can see also distance between me and God. And when I was thinking like, well, why do I do this? You know, that song that came back to my mind was the one I sang in Sunday school. Maybe you guys did too. Um, Oh, be careful little eyes, what you see, right? Or careful little ears, what you hear, or hands, what you do, or feet, where you go, mouth, what you say. For the Father up above, right, is looking down in love, so be careful little eyes, what you see. And I never got that, um, oh, in love. Um, I never got that love part, like looking down in love. I always got the shame finger thing. Um, like God was going to just like sort of take his little heavenly backside to me and, um, you know, put me in order. Because it feels a little creepy, especially as a kid, to think like he's watching up above. But it reminds me of Adam and Eve. You know, they hid in the garden after they had eaten the apple when they had sinned, right? God comes looking for them. And he asks, where are you? Like God doesn't know where they are. But that question is, like, where are you? It wasn't accusatory. It was an expression of his desire for them and for us. God has such a hunger for a relationship for all of us, a hunger that is greater than ours. And so Adam and Eve, they're scared, they're hiding, they're not wanting to be known in their sin. God's heart is not to condemn, but is to love, to redeem, and to bring freedom. God is watching us, not to humiliate or reprimand, but to protect, to care, to heal. And it reminds me of Jesus and that Samaritan woman that we just recently talked about. 
He had been watching her, for he knew everything about her, including that the man that she was with was not her husband. And in response, what does she exclaim? He is the Christ. Her response wasn't to pull away in shame, but to tell everybody, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. She experienced someone so full of love that knew everything about her and loved her still. And God knows and loves us. Although we're not certain of his beliefs, the French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte actually made a number of statements about Jesus. Here's one that is attributed to him, uh, which I think really stands out. He says, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. I mean, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded our empires, but on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force, he says. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Jesus not only came down to us to suffer with us, but to teach us to love and pray for those who persecute us. And then he lived that out to the point of dying for each and every one of us. In fact, he even says on the cross where we put him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So basically, this one big story we've been in all this year comes down to one big, really personal question that each of us have to answer, not just once, probably more than once in our life. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is either God and has the right to define your life, or he is just a good moral teacher who you can make some Instagram posts right up there alongside Gandhi's and MLK's statements. Jesus makes it clear who he is. We want to close with a story about a man named Charles Templeton. And I was talking about maybe a month ago about this story, and it really just stood out to me. He was in the 1940s. Templeton was dedicated to Christ. He was, in fact, one of, he was probably Billy Graham's closest friend. They often ministered together. And of the two, Templeton was actually the one who they said was the better preacher. Um, They would speak to crowds of like 30,000 people. But doubts began to creep in, and by 1957, Templeton left his faith, and he said he was agnostic. He, in fact, wrote a book called Farewell to God, and was an outspoken about the reasons, all the reasons to reject Christianity. But in his 80s, Templeton was interviewed by Lee Strobel, who's a journalist, and he asked, um, Strobel asked him, what do you think about Jesus? And then Strobel noticed that Templeton's body and language just sort of softened. It was like he relaxed and started talking about a dear old friend. And I'll I'll quote some of the things he said. He was, Templeton began, the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was was the intrinsically wisest person I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was, was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except that this was a form of greatness? So Strobel, he was taken back. You know, this guy's an agnostic. But he says, you sound like you really care about him. And Templeton responded, well, yes, he is the most important thing in my life. He says, I I know it may sound strange, but I have to say I adore him. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. And tough, like look at Jesus. He castigated people. He was angry. People don't think of him that way, but they don't read the Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and the exploited. There is no question that he had the, that he had the highest moral standard, the least duplicity, 
with the greatest compassion of any human being in history. And there have been many other wonderful people, but Jesus is Jesus. And then he said, really slowly, um, he's the most, in my view, he is the most important human being who has ever existed. Well, Strobel goes on to say that's when Templeton uttered those words that he just never expected to hear. And then Templeton went on to say, and if I put it, if I may put it this way, he goes, I miss him. And then tears flooded Templeton and he just sobbed. And he fought to compose himself because he was not a man that was easy to lose control like this. And after a few more awkward moments, he just waved his hand dismissively and he quietly said, enough, that's just enough. And that story saddens me so much because you can tell that he absolutely loves Jesus. But, you know, so I did some more research and I was studying like, well, at the end of his life, did he come to know him as God? And yet from all that we can see from his sons who wrote his obituaries and so forth, Templeton valued Jesus as a great teacher and as a person, but never ever saw him as God. And it just shows like that easy road that it can be for any of us to move from devotion to complacency to rejection. There's a huge difference between respecting Jesus as a man and worshiping him as God. I mean, one has the power to give you good life lessons. The other has the power to save you and transform your life and purpose. One is able to give you advice on how to treat people, and the other has the power to conquer sin and death. I want to just take a moment, whether you're here or whether you're listening online, you're at home on your couch, just I want us to take a moment to ponder some questions and let the Holy Spirit just speak to us the answers to these questions. First question. Do you sense deep down in your heart that you've been shying away from giving Jesus all of who you are? Here's the second question. Do you feel like you've been keeping Jesus at arm's length, basically living like he's a good moral teacher, but he's not divine, he's not God? Here's maybe the hardest question. What part of you do you not want Jesus to know and talk with you about? See, the woman at the well was completely known by Jesus. And it led to freedom, hope, and growth. And the reality is, whatever you don't want Jesus to talk to you about, whatever you don't want him to know about you, he already fully knows that. And yet he's still pursuing you in love, wanting you to receive his forgiveness and walk with him. He wants to help you grow and change and discover more of his love and more of his power in your life. So let's pause and pray a moment. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you'd come even more into this space. We welcome you. You're already here. You're already present, whether here or in the living room or in the car with whoever's listening. Lord, I just pray that you'd come into this moment and that you'd speak to us and show us by the presence of your spirit how much you are pursuing us. How much you've loved us and cared for us throughout everything we've faced in our life. Lord, even in the things we've wanted to hide from you, you already know and you still love us. You still want relationship with us. You're still pursuing us. 
Lord, it's really important that we understand who you said you are, that you really are God. It's, it's, it's important that we understand those rational arguments, Lord, but it's even more important that we encounter you. So I ask that you would come into this space wherever we're at, at home here, and that you would just show up in this moment. That you'd speak hope and you'd bring healing. You'd speak truth and our eyes and our heart of our hearts would be able to receive it. In Jesus' name. Would you stand now and give your hearts in worship to God? We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.